0: Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chairman of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Today, I'm very pleased to have Dr. Lok Karana, who is the director of the Gastrointestinal Malignancies Program here at the Cleveland Clinic Cancer Center and within Towson Cancer Institute. Lok, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thanks, Scott. Delighted to be here. So we're going to talk a little bit about something we have yet to talk about on Butts and Guts today, and that's immunotherapy and kind of its relationship to colorectal cancer. But before we get into that, why don't you tell everybody you know, where you're from, where would you train, and how did it come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic? Great. Um, so I'm a medical oncologist. Uh, I, I specialize in
1: gastrointestinal cancers, uh, which includes uh, colorectal cancer, I did my oncology training in upstate New York at the University of Rochester and I stayed on as faculty there for almost 15 years and now I've been at the clinic for about eight years or so. So I'm kind of stuck in uh, in the Great Lakes area, and I have been <laughs> for, for a
0: while. Well, we are very excited to have you here and doing a fantastic process of working hand-in-hand with us here with colorectal cancer. And so let's give a high-level overview, if you will. People have probably heard of the term chemotherapy, but what is immunotherapy?
1: So, you know, this is a really fascinating from a scientific perspective, a really fascinating area. And it's actually not new. We've known for over a century that activating the body's immune system can lead to tumor regression. And there's sort of case reports from the late 19th century when talking about certain skin infections. And if you get those skin infections, they saw people's tumors regress. So there's been this understanding that the immune system is important for tumors to develop uh, in in the sense that tumors need to regulate the host, which is, you know, which is the, the patient's body's immune system to make sure that it's sort of deactivated and that allows uh, allows tumor cells to grow. What's really changed in the past decade and a half or so is is a very sophisticated understanding of how this immune regulation happens, which molecules are important for it, and most importantly, the development of therapeutic uh, agents that target those molecules. And the two molecules that, you know, I think our listeners should know about are, you um, PD1, which is the PD1, PDL1, which are together are known as the PD1 axis, programmed uh, cell death one. And CTLA4, which is uh, uh, both of these sort of inhibit T cell activation, which allows tumor cells to proliferate. And if you re- reactivate T cells by shutting those two molecules down, and there's a host of different uh, drugs that affect those two, those two targets, then that revs up the body's immune system, makes it active against the cancer. Right? So you don't need uh, agents to actually combat the cancer because the body's immune system itself is going to uh, attack the cancer cells and contain them.
0: So are there only certain types of cancers that respond to immunotherapy, or are you targeting the cancer or targeting specific cells that go towards that cancer? And and then the second question of that is, let's say I had two cancers, I've got colon cancer and a prostate cancer. Could it give the one drug towards both?
1: So conceptually no you know conceptually every cancer that grows in the body escapes immune immune surveillance in, in, in a certain fashion and therefore we should be able to identify ways to overcome that escape of immune surveillance and allow the body's immune system to you know to to attack the cancer having said that it's it's clear that the immune system is much more important and much more amenable to sort of manipulation by drugs in certain types of cancers and the two in which you know we've seen the best results are melanoma and kidney cancer. Uh, and here, you know, it's been clear for several years now that immunotherapy is is is, is the way to go, and, and the success rates have been very high. But as we've understood these agents a little bit better, it's it's also clear now that subgroups of nearly all solid tumors and perhaps some liquid tumors are also amenable to to immunotherapy. And one of the classic subgroups that sort of works across all solid tumors is this MSI high or microsatellite uh, instability high cancers, uh, which uh, it doesn't matter where the cancer starts, it could be colon cancer, it could be uh, you know pancreatic cancer, it could be a cholangiocarcinoma. Immunotherapy is quite likely to work in, in that subgroup of, of, the, of the population. So, I long answer. That's a long answer to your question. The short answer is no. It doesn't apply to specific cancers. We think uh, we should get immunotherapy to be able to work in across all
0: different types of cancers. Great. So, back to colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. What, what is the regimen, and where does it fit in? I've heard of, you know, full Fox five FU oxaliplatin irinotecan. Where does immunotherapy? go into the regimen or go into the patient with primary? Does it come before the the surgery treatment? Does it come after? Is it a third line treatment? How do you figure this all out?
1: Yeah, so that's a rapidly evolving uh, target. In fact, just this week, the New England had a a paper about pembrolizumab, which is one of the um, uh, PD-1 antibodies being used upfront, so before any chemotherapy in advanced colon cancer. Uh, but the evolution of, this, uh, of these agents has been through further line therapy. So metastatic cancer, colon cancer patients who've gone through sort of standard chemotherapy drugs and have markers that suggest susceptibility to immunotherapy, specifically the MSI high or microsatellite unstable tumors. And in those patients, the initial trial suggested that in the second line, third line, or higher line setting, uh, immunotherapy was likely to be successful. Once we saw the high degree of success achieved in in that population, the clinical trials were moved up to the first line setting, and that's what this uh, paper that just came out in the New England uh, Keynote One Seven Seven is the name of the trial is about is using immunotherapy up front and comparing versus chemotherapy up front, and for many patients, immunotherapy up front uh, was uh, was very successful. Uh, was associated with better quality of life and was associated with much longer duration of response than we typically see with chemotherapy. So I think immunotherapy is rapidly replacing chemotherapy in in certain segments of the colon cancer population. Uh, the one that's very clear is the microsatellite unstable population. A second that's sort of somewhat clear is a high tumor mutation burden, which sometimes but not always goes along with microsatellite instability. So having a TMB You know that's elevated, and there's sort of various papers describing what what that elevation cutoff should be. Uh, But having a high TMB is associated also with response to to immunotherapy.
0: A lot of patients, when they get cancer and then they have to go see an oncologist like yourself, you're very, very nervous. So what can a patient expect when they come to the Cleveland Clinic Cancer Center for immunotherapy or to meet with you? Walk us through that.
1: So the process for you know, using immunotherapy is really not that much different than the process for chemotherapy. You know, you, you meet with a medical oncologist uh, and their team. We go over the expected side effects and how the drug's administered. All of these drugs are intravenous, just like most chemotherapy drugs are. When the is made to move forward with immunotherapy, you, you know, you go to the infusion center and you get an infusion of the drug that lasts uh, for a short period of time intravenously. Uh, if patients didn't know, in terms of sort of the process itself, there's really no difference between chemotherapy and immunotherapy. They're both given at sort of varying frequencies, and they're they're mostly intravenous. The differences in the side effects uh, in in with chemotherapy, sort of the side effects are very well known. You know, we because we've had chemotherapy for several decades now, uh, most people know to expect sort of nausea and vomiting, and in some cases, hair loss and and fatigue. Because immunotherapy doesn't work in, in in a fashion that's anywhere similar to chemotherapy, you don't see any of those side effects. And for most people, immunotherapy is quite uneventful. You, you, you get the drug, you go home, and you don't, you know, you're not throwing up on the way home, you're not throwing up the next day. But there are some patients who receive immunotherapy who can develop um, these sort of new class of side effects called immune-related adverse effects, IRAEs. These are mostly autoimmune type of side effects. They can be as simple as a skin rash. They can be a little bit more complex, like a colitis or a pneumonitis, or they can be, you know, really rare like an acute hypophysitis or or some type of neurological damage and so on. So so there's a whole whole host of adverse effects, you know, hypothyroidism, autoimmune uh, hypothyroidism that we're increasingly recognizing as being associated with immunotherapy, but which are very different than the chemotherapy effects. But in terms of the logistics and getting the treatment,
0: it's it's very simple, and it's just as simple, if not simpler, than getting chemotherapy. So truth or myth, you mentioned one of these before, but immunotherapy is typically given in a weekly treatment cycle.
1: No, the type of immunotherapy drugs, you know, there's, there's different types. Um, most of them are every three weeks, every four weeks. We are doing longer durations now so that people don't have to come in as frequently. So you can do them as, frequent, as far apart as every four weeks or even a, a, every six weeks, depending on the type of drug. Um, so for most people, the weekly regimen
0: is not, not needed. Truth or myth, if I get immunotherapy, I am considered to be immunocompromised.
1: Uh, that would be a myth. Uh, if anything, immunotherapy enhances, uh, you know, your, your body's immune system, uh, which is why you get all these autoimmune side effects because your body's immune system is revved up and acting against uh, things that are present, you know, organs that are present in
0: your own own body. Uh, so, I would say definitely a myth. Truth or myth? Even after immunotherapy treatment ends, the body's immune system is able to recognize and attack cancer cells in the future. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating aspect of this that we don't fully understand. Um, I personally have patients, many oncologists have patients that have done, you know, 9, 12, 14, 18 months of immunotherapy. At some point, either they get side effects or they get tired of being on treatment, we stop. And I've seen patients where a year out, two years out, the cancer is not, you know, isn't coming back, even though these patients are not on immunotherapy anymore. This is not, you know, this is not the majority of patients, but it's definitely a, a, a certain subgroup of patients that seem to have long-standing, durable responses. And some oncologists are even sort of brave enough to use the cure word, um, although I don't think we have enough uh, enough data to support that yet. So I think more on that uh, to come, uh, but it's definitely. One of the exciting things about immunotherapy is the potential for such long-term durable responses that we may be able to not have to
0: treat patients long-term. So you mentioned this briefly, but what's on the horizon as far as new research or clinical trials that use immunotherapy for treatment of colorectal cancer?
1: Yes, as I mentioned, we've gone up sort of the, you know, the chain of treatments for, for metastatic colon cancer and we've established that immunotherapy is successful in the first line, second line, third line setting. Uh, for metastatic or advanced disease. Uh, Whether immunotherapy is also helpful in the adjuvant setting is being explored. Uh, There's a very large randomized trial in the stage 3 post-operative setting where immunotherapy is being used compared to standard adjuvant chemotherapy. Neo-adjuvant therapy, which is commonly used in rectal cancer, uh, is, uh, is also a potentially very fruitful area for using immunotherapy in patients who are susceptible to it. And in fact, at the clinic, as you know, Scott, we have a new adjuvant immunotherapy trial open for rectal cancer patients um, receiving radiation therapy. And beyond that, I, th- I think the big issue is the subgroup of patients who are susceptible to immunotherapy is still a very small minority. It's you know maybe four or five percent of patients with the microsatellite unstable disease. You know maybe a couple more percentage with uh, with high TMB you know, I would love to use these drugs in sort of the general colon cancer patient who doesn't have these mutations. And so how can we expand the indication for immunotherapy? And how can we make cancers that don't appear to be susceptible to immunotherapy become susceptible to immunotherapy?
0: And uh, and that's really the biggest task at hand. Although, well, do you think there's ever any chance that we're going to be able to take out some of the different anti-tumor cells within a patient, stimulate them or change them one way and then inject them back in to be their own chemotherapy or their own attack cells?
1: Yeah, that's one of the approaches that's being tried. I think that that type of approach is, seems very effective in certain types of liquid tumors and hopefully we can adapt that to the solid tumor population as well. I mean, it's a really exciting time to be in cancer treatment. As you know, five years ago, we couldn't even conceive of some of the drugs that we have now. The results we are seeing with some of these drugs are really frankly astonishing and uh, our hope is that this continues and frankly accelerates so that we can deliver more of these
0: treatments faster to to our patients well this great stuff and we always like to end up here with our guests a couple of quick hitters and so to get to know you a little bit better what's your favorite meal uh boy
1: i guess i'll say um dosas which are a type of south indian meal is one of my favorite
0: yeah, they're fantastic. What's your favorite sport? Uh, basketball. I'm a huge uh, NBA fan. As long as it's not the Lakers. What's the last non-medical book that you read? I read over Story*, which is
1: um, I highly recommend to your listeners. Um, it's about trees. Uh, it's a book that actually centers trees. It talks about the social life of trees. It has a lot of science in it, and it's, it was really fascinating to me to sort of learn about how forests are essentially really complex social networks where older trees take care of younger trees. There are sort of grandparent trees that take care of, you know, really young saplings, and, and saplings develop faster and better and are more resilient to bad weather if, if their you know parents and grandparents are around as opposed to ones that are just sort of planted in,
0: in, in the middle of nowhere. And it's a great read, so highly recommended. Overstory. It sounds fantastic. I'd like to see if the grandparent trees can keep the young trees off of social media. So name something that you like about living here in Northeast Ohio. Uh, Other than the weather, you mean?
1: (laughs) I joke, but, you know, we we moved from upstate New York to here, which is half the snow. So our joke is that we moved to Cleveland for the weather. Um, You know, I got a shout out Our museum here in Cleveland, uh, which is, first of all, it's free. You can walk in anytime If you only have five minutes and you want to see one thing and get out, uh, that's fine. You can spend the whole day there. You can spend a whole week there. They're just
0: an amazing collection of art and sculpture, and uh, I highly recommend it. Cannot agree more. So that's great stuff. Give us a final take-home message for our listeners, the real kind of the, the nuts and bolts of immunotherapy for colorectal cancer. What should they remember?
1: We are in a rapidly evolving paradigm shift in cancer medicine, Um, and immunotherapy is the leading edge of that paradigm shift. Um, The the science underlying immunotherapy was recently awarded the Nobel Prize uh, just last year. And I think we are just at the cusp of these new agents and ways to modulate the immune system. I, I would urge your, your listeners to sort of pay really close attention to the science and, 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 and the clinical trials, because
0: I think you'll be seeing some fantastic breakthroughs over the next couple of years, more more than what we've already seen. That's fantastic stuff. And to learn more about colorectal cancer prevention and treatment and to download a free treatment guide, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash colon cancer. That's clevelandclinic.org slash colon cancer. And to make an appointment with Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center, please call our cancer answer line at 866-223-8100. That's 866-223-8100. And again, please remember, in times like these, it's still important for you and your family to continue to receive medical care. Rest assured that here at the Cleveland Clinic, we're taking all the necessary precautions to sterilize our facilities and protect our caregivers and patients. Alope, thanks for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.